boom there it is we are back wow it's been a weird week i don't know what happened i will try to explain but uh, we have an awesome guest we're going to talk about all kinds of things uh especially though taking an active role in your therapy so let's dive in let's have some fun here we go practicing polyamory real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory the mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, we are back. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this beautiful Wednesday. Uh, before we jump in and chat with today's guest, I want to quickly remind everybody that except for this weird week where... Two of my guests backed out. Um, we usually do three shows a week, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. This week was a little bit weird. A lot of times I try to do something uh, even if a guest doesn't show up. But you know what? Uh, you know, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but I, I didn't do it. But normally we are going to be doing three shows a week. So anyway, if you want to have a conversation, if you want to have one of your topics discussed, shoot me a DM, follow me on all social media platforms at Practicing Polyay. Let me know what you want us to talk about. And as always, as a reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on this show. We're here to share our imperfect stories. And I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com, sign up today. All right, everybody, that is my spiel. We're going to get a little bit more into it later. But for now, the best part is introducing our guest, Today's guest is the perfect therapist for the person who's looking for a warm, compassionate, and calm environment with honest and direct feedback. Her number one goal is to help each and every one of her clients grow not just into the best version of themselves, but to build you up so that you're able to function beyond the couch and into your everyday life. Our guest believes that therapy is not a passive activity. It takes active participation and a little work, but our guest can help you face and conquer whatever you might be dealing with using tools that will continue to serve you even after you've finished working together. With over 10 years experience studying and working with non-monogamous folks, plus a wide range of knowledge about all things kink, our guest is welcoming and affirming of non-conforming communities and eager to help you heal and grow. Joining us today from the Bell Tower Group out of Greenville, Michigan, welcome to the show, Taryn Sinclair. All right, Taryn, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for spending some time and hanging out with me today. No problem, but to be honest, with an intro like that, I'm a little worried if I'm going to be able to live up to it. Oh, of course you are. You already did. You, this is all stuff that I just found about you. You've already done it. So, you know, no pressure. You're well, good. Fingers crossed. I think I got this. I think so, too. I think so, too. So, okay. I'm going to start with something that's happening right now in our world. In, in It's a big story that's going on right now. Okay. Um, you know what? Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that second. I'm going to do that second. First. First, number one, most important, tell me about you, okay? Tell me a little bit of your story, uh, your experience, and what brings you to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Oh, Lord. That's such a broad story. 
<laughs> Take it from the top. It's okay. Well, to be honest, my fascination with polyamory probably began, you know, I'd like to say when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not that I was able to really practice the polyamory, the practicing polyamory part too much as a teenager, but, you know, that being said, this idea that we are supposed to fulfill all of our needs in one person seems like a tall order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't get to explore it much until probably my undergrad at Grand Valley. Mm-hmm. I stumbled on Esther Perel in my sociology of sexuality class. Okay. And her TED talk in particular is what really kicked it off. This, uh, it was when, it was before she did her book, Mating in Captivity. Uh, that was, the book itself was probably a huge moment for me too, but just listening to her talk about how we can't expect one person to fulfill all of our needs, to be mm-hmm, our confidant, mm-hmm. to be our supporter, to be our you know sexual desire, to fulfill all of these things. It, just listening to someone that was established in the field talk about it, it kind of made me feel very validated that it, you know it is a tall order to expect someone mm-hmm. to be everything. And from there, I just started digging around and learning about things like how we didn't really have this expectation until probably the 50s or 60s when our idea of what marriage even is started to change. And then I stumbled upon, uh, I'm probably going to butcher her name, Tristan Taramino's book, The Ethical Slut. Mm -hmm. And that was great for me as well. And then I just kind of realized that by and large, there isn't a lot of therapists in our field that right. one, even really know about polyamory, but two, after knowing about it, find it to be an acceptable practice, not just something that the deviants do. Interesting. So you found out about it, but but it seems like you had this line of thinking even when you were a teenager. Uh, I'm curious if you're if you're willing to share that part. Like, what was it as a teenager that you were like, yeah, this doesn't make sense because, like, when I was a teenager, I was all about it, right? I was the 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 give me the give me the Romeo and Juliet, give me the boys to men love songs, give me you know, like the she's my everything and everything revolves around her, you know that like that was how I was. But you were not that. You had this idea that there's no way one person can fulfill everything. How did you realize that so young? Well, to be honest, this is going to make me sound like such a cold and bad friend. Uh, but I was kind of the listening ear of most of my friends. Mm-hmm. And so I would have all of these, well, usually teenage girls, if we're being honest, coming to me and telling me about their their partners or their boyfriends, and in some cases their girlfriends, and how they weren't getting enough attention. They weren't, yes, even teenagers have sex, having enough sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't spending enough time together that they were too worried about their schooling and just listening to this almost like lack of awareness that this other person is going to have things that they have to do. They're not going to be available for you 24-7. They're not going to be able to fulfill every single thing that your entire friend group and your family and yourself has been fulfilling up until this moment. Mm -hmm. It just kind of hits me, of course, that doesn't make sense that one person is going to be able to do all that because one person our partner shouldn't live for us. They should right. live with us. They should want to spend time with us. But this idea that they're going to live for us and fulfill all of that, just it didn't make sense to me, if I'm being honest, probably mm-hmm. because the idea of doing that myself was just daunting. I don't want to live yeah. for someone else. So I can't expect other people to do it for me. Totally. Oh, you're right. And when you're right, you're right. 
And you, you're always right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, that totally makes sense. Um, and honestly, it, it was the biggest downfall of the majority of my relationships uh, when I was young because I hadn't learned that. I didn't think that way. I, I was very much of the mindset that, you know, my soulmate is supposed to fulfill all of my needs. And it wasn't until I discovered polyamory that I was like, oh, actually, it's better if they don't. So nice realization. Really cool. And also, I love that you were already acting like the therapist and counselor as a teenager. That's fantastic. It's like it's like you were meant to do this. Well, you know, I think most people could probably be a listening ear. I don't I don't know about meant to do it, but I like to think I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, so the thing that I wanted to ask you about that's like going on in the world right now. Uh, you will recognize the name, I'm sure. Simone Biles drops. No, no, no. I'm, I'm culturally ignorant. If I'm being oh, no. honest, so oh, culturally okay. ignorant. Well then, well then, I'll I'll save that question for uh, another time. But you know what? No, I'll I'll kind of give you the background. I'll give you the background. So Simone Biles, Olympic gold medalist, greatest of all time gymnast. I mean, this young lady is incredible. Uh, you know, whether it's the the high bars or the uneven bars or the or the the, the horse or the floor, whatever. Like she's she's just the best, right? And this week. She dropped out of the Olympics, citing mental health problems. I mean, just just dealing with the mental health aspect of it because she's so good, because, you know, for the past eight years, she's been at the top of her game and just completely destroying it. I guess the spotlight got too heavy at the Olympics and... You know, she she decided that it was too much pressure. She didn't have a great uh, first outing. And she was like, you know what? I can't deal with all of this. And she dropped out. Have you heard anything about this story? Or if, even if not, like, what are your thoughts on this? No, I guess I should have let you speak a little bit before I answered. Because I actually did hear about that. Okay, cool. Ironically enough, I was lazing around in my bed this morning before deciding to get up and be a person. And I actually read it through Facebook. And... Uh -huh. Honestly, it's people don't realize this, but this is going to be infinitely harder for her than it's going to be for anyone watching, any of her family members, any of her teammates. Because imagine the level of dedication that it takes to get to be an Olympian. It's not something that you just wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to do that tomorrow. And yet she still needed to drop out due to her mental health. And mm -hmm. I think the best thing people can do right now, in my opinion, for her is just remember that it's not personal. It's not about the viewer. It's not about family. It's not even about the team. You can't expect a person to bear that level of weight on their shoulders without some kind of mental side effects. And then if it becomes too much, what is she supposed to do? Sacrifice her mental health for all of us watching at home? Actually, that, that, that yes. Sound, right? Yes. That, that's, that's, and that's the argument, right? Uh, I, I read this piece. Uh, somebody somebody posted it on Facebook. I can't remember the name. Um, and I want to say it was in one of the poly groups that I follow that I'm in. Uh, and so somebody posted this thing about back in the 90s, there was this uh, gymnast who did an entire floor routine with like a broken leg. So even though her leg was all busted up and she was just torn to shreds like her body was just torn to pieces her coach still pushed her out there 
and got her on the floor and she did this whole routine. And I mean, it, it's this classic video that you can find and see of this of, of this young lady doing, uh, you know, an entire floor routine with basically one leg. And that was the argument, right? That was the argument is that back then we expected our Olympians to just push through and it doesn't matter, you know, even if you're hurt, you just keep going. And now, now it's like our world has changed and we're saying, you know what, Simone, that's definitely a lot of pressure. And, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, like we are backing off on on you giving you the space to deal with that but there's you know there's there's this this competitiveness i guess that i don't know is is it suffering is it, it like i'm i'm looking at these two examples and how one you know 20 years ago 30 years ago damn world uh, <laughs> 20-ish, 30 years ago, um, you know, the, the, the coaches and, and, and these Olympians would just push through no matter what. And now it's like we're giving them the ability to back out when things get tough. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's not often that I honestly look at anything from 30 years ago and think, sure. oh, yeah, that's how it should be. I, I mean, <laughs> realistically, it's it's... Half, in, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, if you really look at it, half of these people saying that she should have pushed through, let's see them push through. Like right. this idea that someone's body should be broken and be in just for our pleasure, our ideals, we're not the ones out there doing it. We're not the ones that put our entire life into this and then decided that, you know, this is too much for me at this moment. We're not. We're not the ones making the sacrifice. So where do we get off getting to tell other people what they should and shouldn't be doing? And the mm -hmm. idea, even 30 years ago, that we took a person who was clearly not like, well, clearly she was capable of doing it. But I guess the question should be, should she have done it? And we pushed her for our ideals. Is that is that OK? You know, right. if, if Simone decides that, you know, I put all of this effort and time and energy and myself into this goal and now i'm here and it's just too much for me at this moment who are we sitting on our couches at home or wherever right. we happen to be watching it you know half of us might not even have done anything that day that even equates to that level of dedication mm -hmm. to say that you know she should keep going but to be honest, what we totally. should do is keep our opinions to ourselves for the most part <laughs> i love that yeah no so one of the reasons why I was thinking about that is because this week, uh, like I mentioned, I didn't do shows on Monday and Tuesday. Um, mm -hmm. I had guests scheduled. One of them let me know like over the weekend that they weren't going to make it. Uh, the other one didn't show up on, on that day. And a lot of times I will, you know, find an article and do a show anyway. But I was going through my own, you know, whatever mental health stuff. I was just like, you know what? Not feeling it today. Don't want to do it. And then you know this whole thing with with simone comes out and like i'm i'm wrestling with it from even myself just because of these like super high expectations that i have of myself too um obviously not to to the level of, of simone biles or anything uh but you know kind of relating that to to the way that people approach 
therapy, the way that people approach polyamory. We've got all of these expectations, all of these really high expectations of ourselves that we're not supposed to feel jealousy, that we're supposed to feel compersion, uh, that we are, you know, whatever, whatever issues it is that we're dealing with, that we go and see you for, that we're just supposed to be better than that. So what do you say as, as someone, uh, you know, if someone's coming to you and, and we just have these really high expectations, even as we're just getting started with our therapy, even as we're just, you know, getting to know you and, and, and beginning our journey, but we like have this, uh, I mean, like, cause I know I would, I would, and I do, I have this, this idea that I'm supposed to be above wherever I am and struggling with, I actually have to deal with these issues. What would you say to somebody that's approaching therapy from that kind of a standpoint? Honestly, I usually say two things. The first thing is even the machines at McDonald's break down. You can't expect <laughs> a person not to. We're not a machine. I mean, we like to say we're a well-oiled biological machine, but realistically, I'm sure all of us have heard that meme of what are we just anxious cucumbers because we're mostly water. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to hold up that long. And then the second thing is we shouldn't be competing with this imaginary person that we have in our head of who we can be in the future. We shouldn't be looking ahead and going, oh, I could be this person because you're going to be that person. Mm -hmm. Who we should be competing with is the person from the past, who we were before. And most of us, if we look back, nice. we're going to find that we're infinitely better off than we were 10 or 15 years ago. We're stronger people. We're smarter people. We're more capable people. That's who we should be competing with, not this imaginary idea of who we should be and who we can be. Makes sense. I mean, if I look backwards, I can see the growth, right? I can definitely see how I've changed and, and who I am today compared to back then. But I still have always this ideal and I'm chasing that. Um, is that so wrong? Is that part of the the taking an active role in my therapy, you know, is, is to have this this future goal? No, absolutely not. It's not about not having a goal or not chasing a dream. It's about not shaming yourself for, oh, today I took one step on that path instead of 18. You know, mm. anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. You know, you're still, even if, let's look at taking a shower. If, let's say a person's really de depressed and they're struggling to get out of bed and take that shower and get on with their life. If they manage to get just far enough that they take that shower, but they didn't make it to work today. Like it's better than still being in bed. You know, mm -hmm. any step towards your goal is infinitely better than no steps at all. We shouldn't be shaming ourselves for how little progress we made. We should be applauding ourselves for the progress that we made. Totally, totally. Um, Earl Nightingale said that success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And so that worthy ideal, that goal, you know, success is just the progressive realization of it. That's so just taking that one step, like you said. Um, I want to get into some of your specialties, some of the things that uh, that I read about you, especially when it came to kink. It seemed like you had a pretty wide range of uh, experience there and, and knowledge there. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how you help people in your practice when it comes specifically to kink. Well, to be honest, my personal experience set aside, uh, it really depends on why they're there. Like it, 
some people are frustrated and overwhelmed or ashamed of their kinks. And that's what they're coming mm -hmm. to me to figure out. Other people are trying to figure out what's the best way to introduce it to their partner or what's the best way to pursue this. Uh, other people don't even entirely realize that they have a kink. They just know that, you know, they happen to like feet or they happen to like uh, BDSM dynamics. It really depends on the individual person. I can say that the one that I probably deal with the most is how do I break this to my partner? How do I introduce this into our sex life? I like that topic. Let's get into that. Um, the other thing that you said was shame. Is that usually one of the reasons why they have trouble bringing that to the table or is it something else entirely? No, honestly, it usually is shame. If we look at sex in general, a good portion of our culture still shames sex outside of the confines of marriage or for any reason other than procreation. Now mm -hmm. you bring in, hey, I like to be spanked or, you know, I might want to be held down or then you bring into some into it some of the more taboo topics like, you know, daddy, dom, little girl dynamics or furries or some of what one could call more dangerous practices like autoerotic asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. It's try bringing that into a culture that just 20 years ago said abstinence only sex education is the best way to go. <laughs> yeah, I remember those classes. Um, so when it comes to shame, I mean, I, I, I love that topic. I, I, there's definitely a lot of sex negativity in our society. There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of things. Uh, what, what do you tell people? I mean, let's, let's say, you know, one partner is into age play, right? That's something that, that can definitely be very taboo. Uh, so, you know, one partner's into age play. They're not sure if they can bring it to their partner, if they, if they should bring it to their partner. Do they want to bring it to their partner? How do, how do we get that conversation started? Honestly, if the partner is open to therapy, I think that's a great place to do it. Bring them in for a session or two, just because the therapeutic environment is this very safe, no judgment, no shame, no shoulds or should nots, or at least it should be. And so mm -hmm. that in itself, in my opinion, would probably be the best place to broach the subject just because it's a clean slate. And if it doesn't go well, it doesn't have to taint one of your favorite rooms of your house or one of your favorite places. It's a, it's a way that you can navigate this in a safer environment. That being said, not everyone's open to therapy, despite how far we've come with the acceptance of mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's about navigating it in a way where the environment's already calm. You don't want to be, in the case of age play, you don't want to be in the middle or about to engage in penetration of some kind and then pull out a pacifier. Like, <laughs> your partner's going to be completely thrown off. They're going to be like, what the right. hell do you expect me to do with that? It's about finding a calm environment, maybe going for a walk, maybe sitting them down on the couch and just being like, hey, I am curious about this. I saw it in a book or I heard about it from a friend. What can we do together to explore this and satisfy that curiosity? Uh, what happens when that conversation does not go well? If it gets brought up and, you know, let's say my partner's like, whoa, that's freaking weird what is wrong with you like how could you even want that and all of a sudden that starts to create like this distance or this space uh, we were on the break! 
<laughs> it creates a break. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Um, what happens in that case? How do we how do we move forward? Honestly, I wish every story had a happy ending. They don't always have a happy ending, and it could be a number of things. The least happy ending is it just throws your partner off, and that kind of ends it right there. Second mm -hmm. least is, you know, you might have to shelve this, unfortunately. If your partner's unwilling to navigate that with you, you, you have that decision to make. Which mm -hmm. of these things is more important to me? Because the one thing, even when you're exploring kink, is you can't force someone to the table. Well, I mean, right. technically, if we're talking unconsensual, consensual, you can force someone to the table. <laughs> but not, not in every case. So Consensually force them to the table. Yeah, you know, consensually, non-consensually. Exactly. <laughs> so ideally, it's a topic that you can revisit. It's something that, well, something I'm going to have to do is get better Bluetooth headphones if you can't tell. Uh, but it's a topic that hopefully you can revisit at a later date. You can express to them, hey, I don't appreciate how you shamed me. It makes me feel like I can't talk about these things with you, whether or not they are going to be part of the person's sexual identity or they're just a passing curiosity. In a healthy relationship, we're able to talk about all of the facets of our sexuality with our partners without shame. Because who else are we going to talk about that with? Whether it be a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship, these are topics that we should be able to discuss in a healthy manner. It doesn't sure. mean that the other person needs to come over to our side of things. They don't have to engage in these kinks with us or even the exploration stage. They still do need to accept and not shame if the relationship's going right. to be healthy. Totally, totally. Now, there's there's something, though, that me if i'm if i'm the one coming to you and you know having these these experience having these issues there's something that i need to do how do i take an active role in in my therapy in in these conversations like what do i need to do to you know make sure that therapy is working for me because like like you said it's not a passive thing it does take a little bit of work what what does that work entail well, the work is kind of individual to each therapist. If if I'm being honest, this is where my undergrad, originally I was going to be a professor, shines through, and I give out so much homework. You know, almost every <laughs> session comes with a worksheet or a journal prompt, and then I have my clients send it to me before our next session, so that way I can kind of look through it and see what I can pull from it and dig up. But for some people, that work looks like more introspection, more journaling. It's a good therapists, in my opinion, unless you are looking for a talk therapist, but in my opinion, they want to not just help you in that hour, but help you overall in your life. They want mm -hmm. you to be able to come to therapy and take the benefit that you're getting right then and bring it on to the rest of your life. And so that work does look like, okay, this is my problem. What are some new ways that I can handle this? What are some new coping skills I can learn or some new communication skills or some new ways of just exploring myself that's going to change something? If three years down the road, you're still seeing your therapist and you're at the same place as square one, something's not right. It might be right. a therapeutic relationship. It might be the skills that you're learning. It might be, you know, you guys just aren't good, a good fit. But something that I tell all of my clients when they come to see me and because I've, I've gotten quite a few, if I'm being honest, that when I do the consultation call, so that way they can see if we're the right fit, say, oh, my last therapist, they just talked. 
at, at the end of it, I knew just as much about them or more than they knew about me. And huh. the problem with that is your therapist should feel friendly. They should not be your friend. You know, mm, they mm. are a service provider. And if you're not getting the service, you need to go to another service provider. If you had a bad electrician, you wouldn't keep paying them to fix up your house. Right. Yep, totally. Um, when you were talking there, you said three years. You just mentioned it, and I'm sure it was just a random number. Um, yep. But about how long should I expect to see a therapist? The one that, I, that I'm with right now uh you know the insurance basically says you get seven sessions and you know we want to get you through and get you out and you know get you going um but like in my head i have this idea that like a therapist is just somebody that i talk to on a regular basis and it's almost like a lifelong uh thing that you know i mean not not that i necessarily always need therapy but maybe i always need therapy i don't know you tell me what what's what's kind of the ideal there i don't know that there is an ideal i think it depends on the purpose so mm. let's say that you're coming to therapy to learn how to manage your anxiety and your therapist is like okay we can do that if years down the road your anxiety is the exact same level as it was when you started something's not working out you know, mm -hmm. if, if you're looking for the type of therapeutic relationship where it is just that general talk therapy where you're like, I just want a person that I can check in with, someone that's unbiased that I can just throw a few ideas at, throw my life at and see what sticks to the wall, then there isn't really a limit to that. It really depends on what the purpose is. And then when you get into things like severe level of trauma, I mean, you have people that have been sexually assaulted, raped, child abuse. When you get to that level of trauma, there's a good chance that five, six years down the road, you are still going to be dealing with triggers from that sometimes, mm -hmm. depending on the severity level. It Again, it goes back to what is the purpose of the therapy. And okay. that kind of determines where you should be at. As for insurance companies only giving you seven sessions, unfortunately, insurance companies kind of rule the medical and mental health world. Yeah. And the, the rules that our rulers put forth aren't always the best because they're driven by, by and large, money, not by health. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I, <laughs> that, that, yeah, I, I, I knew that that was the, uh, the motive there. Let's uh, pay as little as possible. Um, but okay, that's cool. So, so there are people then that will have like these lifelong relationships. And especially like you said, if somebody's dealing with some real hard traumas that it could be, uh, you know, years and years of, of, uh, you know, of therapy. Um, the other thing was, you said, well, if somebody goes to, to see a therapist for anxiety and then a couple of years down the line, they have the same level of anxiety. How do you measure that? Well, to be honest, and don't expect me to name them, but there's different tests that you can actually do mm -hmm. to test for that level of anxiety. But by and large, a lot of it's by client self-report. And that is where it gets sticky. So it's one of my favorite ways of treating anxiety is good old CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then if it's situational specific anxiety, I do what's called exposure therapy and we do an exposure hierarchy. So in that case, it's really easy to me measure. An exposure hierarchy is you have this list of anxiety producing situations that are all related to one specific fear or anxiety. And then you number them based upon the level of anxiety that they cause. So one to 10, 10 being the worst. Hmm. If six months down the road, we're still at number one and we haven't been able to move down that list, something needs to change. Got it. 
Got it. Very cool. I like it. I learned something today. Taryn, uh, we are just about out of time here, um, but I want to ask you really quickly, um, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you wish that I had asked about that you just want to throw out here for our audience some final thoughts? Uh, well, not to engage in too much self-reveal here, because who knows if my clients will ever see this, but one thing that I want to add is that even therapists need therapists. You know, mm -hmm. I've had the same therapist now for probably, oh, Lord, since I was a teenager. And I can't imagine being the therapist to teenage me, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, I'll go a couple of years and then something will happen and I'll go check in. We'll bounce around for a few sessions, get things back on track and then keep going. Everyone likely can benefit from a therapist, at least for a period in their life. Mm -hmm. And we need to break the stigma that this idea that if, if we're seeing a therapist or something wrong with us, yeah, that's okay though. Everyone has something wrong with them and your version of therapy might just be to treat your mental health version of the common cold. It's going to last for a couple of weeks and then it's going to go away. You know, it's everyone can benefit from it. Healthcare workers, your average layman, your factory workers, there mm -hmm. is no person that is never going to need therapy in their entire life. Life is just too difficult. 100% agree with that. There was a, a therapist that we had uh, several months back, uh, Emily, I can't remember her last name, but hashtag end the stigma therapists need therapists too. I love it. I love it. Taryn, uh, the very last thing that I want to ask you is if somebody wants to get in touch with you, if somebody wants to work with you, uh, remember we do have a listening audience. So uh, what is the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they want to work with you? Well, to be honest, two ways. Through my psychology today, you can get a hold of me through email, phone call. Uh, the downside is due to the way licensure works, we're only right now, especially as social workers, able. I'm only able to work with people in Michigan because that's where I'm licensed. Uh, we are working on reciprocity, so that way we can be all across the country, kind of like doctors in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, but that being said, that would probably be the best way it gives us a good chance to connect and then we can set up a free consultation because I'm, I'm not big into the idea. We're going to set up an appointment immediately. I want to give you the chance to see if I'm the person for you. You know, the therapeutic relationship is important. And if you don't like me, we're not going to get very far. It's true. <laughs> I mean that, that relationship it's, it is super important. It has to be there. Um, all right. Perfect. Taryn, just, I want to say thank you again so much. Uh, I really love, what was it? The exposure hierarchy. I, I, I love that idea of just ranking these different things and, you know, seeing how we're, how we're working through it. Um, thank you for spending some time with me today. Thank you for hanging out and for giving us all of this valuable insight. I really appreciate your time. Of course, honestly, it was a joy. And if people can take away anything from me being on here, I just want them to take away that they have the power to solve their mental health issues. They just might need a little guidance. I love it. I love it. All right. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in. Another apology for not being here the last two days, but thank you all for understanding. And as a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions. The same can't be said for the podcast download. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live, usually Monday through Wednesday at 2.30 specific, specific Pacific time, or sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our 
uh, commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That is all we've got for today. Thank you again, Taryn. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And until next time. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.